Gerald Wolbeck. Uh, this might be digressing a little, but what do you give Bridget a chance for in the next election in Lethbridge? There was some stuff in the paper. Oh, way too early to start counting out individual ridings in the, uh, in the province right now. The, uh, we are going through a major political reconfiguration, possibly in the province. At the very least, the Conservative Party has to decide which Conservative Party it is and they do have three distinct choices ahead of them. That will impact all the other parties, and then we'll see what the choices look like. But uh, uh, I, I've always found, uh, I learned this years ago, when I f uh, first came to the University of Lethbridge and started doing election night commentary, the first election I got sucked in to all the dynamic of change in this wonderful province and how each election was a new adventure in the unknown. And I sounded like a total idiot because I was looking for all kinds of changes. I've learned since then the safest prediction for any election in Alberta is, you know what happened last time? Yep. Yeah. And that's that. If you, if you stay close to that, except when you're absolutely chased off it, you come out looking much better in Alberta. Knut Peterson is my name. Uh, Peter, thanks for your presentation. Uh, I assume you left out the, any commentary on the Alberta Party on purpose. Uh, <laughs> can you tell me why? Um, okay, I left out a comment on the Alberta Party because I missed that paragraph up here when I was, uh, was talking about it. The Alberta Party, the, the, it is one of those initiatives that comes along periodically in, in Alberta. The question is whether the time is right for it. Uh, one question that's unanswered just yet is, will the conservative, you know, the conservative party is, like all big tent parties, it's an amorphous collection of several different groups. The question is, which way will they lean inside the big tent? Will they lean right to take Danielle Smith on more directly? I don't think so. Will they lean uh, more left? to make sure they, they occupy that part of the spectrum, I think that's more likely. The Alberta Party is waiting for an answer for that, because if the Conservatives do lean right, then logically there's more of an opportunity now. There's a bigger zone to the left of them available for somebody to take advantage of. At the moment, that's a contested field. The NDP and the Liberals have been going back and forth in who's the number one opposition party in Alberta for a while, and neither one really getting very much further ahead. Uh, the Alberta Party would like to be a way out of that dilemma. Um, whether they these things are always unlikely until they work. But uh, the, uh, it, Alex pointed out to me at the, at the table, it's quite true there's a solid block of people who, who identify with the Liberal Party, capital L, at either level, and stay with it no matter what. But most of those are older voters, my, my baby boomer generation starting to slide from the scene. If that's true, then the label isn't as big a deal as I've been making it, and there is an opportunity for the Alberta Party. At the moment, though, they're competing for attention on a crowded stage. Uh, they're competing with the conservative uh, leadership race, which is the biggest political story in Alberta for the next while. It's a major development that, uh, that will get most of the political attention. The Alberta Party is trying to compete with it. You need attention to form a new party. You need some hype. You need some, atten you know, some momentum. And at the moment, they're having trouble generating that. Um, so there's an opportunity there, definitely. The Liberals, the trouble with the Liberals is they're solid, but with no real growth potential. They have been the official opposition party forever in a province that almost never makes the op leader of the opposition the next premier. 
Uh, so it's, uh, it's a, a, you know, Alberta politics is weird in that respect. So I, at the moment, I'm watching. At the moment, it's a slogan and an idea with a few people connected to it. What they've got right now is an outspoken, renegade, liberal MLA. That is either not bad for a start or it's taking you off the wrong direction. And a year from now, we'll know which one of those is true. Gene Olexen. Uh, just a, wondered to know if you could comment on uh, past elections, uh, the one uh, several years ago provincially. We had something like 40%, I believe, uh, turnout. And what's your view as to why our turnouts are so low, especially among young people? And maybe some comments on voter cynicism and negativity. <laughs> a whole extra talk, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, a declining voter turnout has been a hallmark not just of Alberta but of all of Canada, not just of Canada but of pretty well all Western countries. The graph has been tracking down for years, decades now, everywhere, and it is a bit of a concern. Um, whether we'll continue to t track, I don't... The, I think part of the problem is our institutions and our parties are directed largely at an older era, at, uh, at a time past, when we had a more leisurely style of decision-making and opinion articulation and responses to those opinions. We are increasing in an age where things happen fast, the news is out there right away, and people want quick responses. Our election system is not well geared to that. So uh, whether... The emerging generation will accommodate itself to our institutions and practices as opposed to our uh, institutions and practices having to accommodate themselves to the, the new generation and their preferences is a game that will be played out. I, uh, you, the first thing you do with any new technology is you use it to do a little bit better some of the things you're already doing only gradually do you realize that it allows you to do new things you weren't doing before, and only a bit later do you realize it now makes these new things so compelling that the old things have just vanished off the agenda altogether. I think our politics may be moving in that direction, and I look forward with some interest but also some trepidation to what it's going to look like. John Colk. You, uh, you talked about a few of the front runners, or not the front runners, the announced people in the Alberta, yeah. uh, the PCs. What about the ones that are not in, but thinking of getting in here? Gary Mars, Jim Dennings, any comments on, number one, the viability of coming in from out of the party? Um, are we, are we going to see that, that sort of thing? Um, okay. Uh, I, I was think of Jim Denning always strikes me as... Nobody has ever prepared a better CV for a person who wanted to become premier of a province. I don't think, you know, I don't think anybody ever has come up with a better CV with a longer list of, of services and accomplishments and experiences, and we know where that got him. Um, Dinning, I think, has already indicated he's not interested. He doesn't want to run again. I think the defeat four years ago hurt. I think that was a, a major disappointment to him, and he really turned the page. Um, it's a, and it's a bit hard to come back from that. Uh, Gary Marr's been out of the province for several years now and is quite comfortably settled in, in, in Washington. Uh, it would be a bit hard to come back uh, uh, because four years is a long time in politics right now. Who are you? You know, an awful lot of people don't know who he is. 
to some extent, that distances you from the current government and its shenanigans, so that's good. But to another extent, you're starting from a, from a zero start. Uh, Stelmach, by creating a longer race, by a, creating a race that will probably have its culmination in September, has left the door open to people canvassing possibilities and coming forth with a... Uh, uh, with a, a campaign. On the other hand, I've already a little too quickly characterized the three major contenders for the conservative leadership. Um, you know, uh, Horner is the, the Stalmachite. They are picking up on the Stalmach support. Redford will be to the left of the uh, amalgam thing called the Conservative Party. Ted Morton will be to the right. Uh, that really is the challenge now for anybody else coming in. Which one of those three are you going to be the second one of? And that makes it a little bit harder to get in. I think that's why, that's why Redford came in at the time that she did, was to make sure nobody else comes in to be that label um, preemptorily. Hello. My name is Frank Toth. Uh, that's the most eloquent speech I've ever heard. <laughs> we get too serious in life, and you, are, I, you missed your calling. It's fantastic. <laughs> But anyway, I want to ask the same question to you. I asked the leader of the, uh, what's her name, Daniel Smith? Yep. Okay. I asked her if she was conversant with the NAFTA agreement that was, that was signed, overlapping signatures between Edmonton and Washington and then Mulroney and Washington. Relative, I repeat, relative, Ralphie's favorite, I repeat, relative to the uh, uh, royalties and the and the uh, and the environmental deal that was signed that can't be changed while this thing, this contract is between the two governments. She couldn't answer it. She starts saying twenty five percent, thirty five percent, but what are the real facts? We'll request that you ask a question, please. That, that's it. I said, what are the real facts? On, on, on the NAFTA agreement between Washington and, and, and Ottawa and Washington and, and Alberta, 1994. Okay. okay. Um, the, the, well, the FTA was replaced by NAFTA. NAFTA, we always call it free trade. Of course, if it was free trade, it wouldn't take 7,000 pages to spell out all the rules that surround it. It's... Uh, uh, it's regulated trade within certain constraints that uh, that have been established. Um, it does limit the sovereignty of the, uh, the two nations on either side. There were constitutional issues involved in it uh, regarding Canadian federalism, but uh, no direct challenge. Everyone backed off from a direct challenge. Clearly, if you're a provincial politician, you have to take NAFTA as a done deal. It's part of the fabric of economic and political relations between the two countries. It's not something you can change uh, unilaterally. So as a provincial leader, I would think bitch a lot but live with it is, uh, is, is, the, is, is all you can do. Whether NAFTA oh, – was NAFTA a good idea or not? I, um, as, yeah, as someone famously said of the French Revolution about 30 years ago, too soon to tell. Uh, this is a story which is still playing itself out. It's got positive aspects, negative aspects. In a way, it doesn't matter because it's the established political and economic reality for North America for a considerable future. 
and uh, the Americans are in no position to negotiate major changes for it just because one of their junior partners, and that's what we are, uh, one of their junior partners is uncomfortable with some corners of it. They've got way too many problems of their own. And in many ways, given those problems, reopening NAFTA, I would think it's the last thing we want to do because they're, they're not in a very friendly or generous mood right now. Um, Mark Nelson. Um, with the party leaderships in flux, do you see in the future any change in the royalties um, position in, of, in Alberta? Like, will that change? I would think not. I think Stelmac, in a way, okay, um, the royalty, royalty deals are negotiated by specific governments. You can stake out different positions if you want to. Very crassly, it's your oil. If you want to, um, and natural gas, if you want to set out tougher conditions for people accessing it, you're perfectly free to do so. Then if the people want to go somewhere else to explore or develop, they're perfectly free to do so. And that's, you know, that's the constraint you're operating under. I was not against Ed Stelmack's move. I thought uh, it's an issue. I, you compare it globally. You compare it even with uh, states in the U.S. or other uh, provinces in Canada. We don't do particularly well off royalties. Uh, on the other hand, if you do that, we are, of course, an oil province. We are, of course, dominated by, dependent on the oil industry. We rise or fall economically with the price of oil. You challenge that oil industry, you're taking a big chance as premier. You better have things lined up first. I think Stelmac has demonstrated uh, that you don't go near that. That's too, too dangerous an issue, too hot an issue, unless you really want to make that the one thing you stand or fall on to rally public opinion and go after something. But outside of that, take a deep breath and roll the dice once on this royalty issue. I don't think anyone's going to touch it. They'll talk around the corners, but no one's, no one's walking back into that swamp after they saw what happened to Stelmach. My name is Van Christou. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Peter, for gracing our forum once again with a brilliant and, uh, and entertaining and informative talk. Uh, it's great to have you here. Um, you talked about the future, uh, political future of our province and beyond, and how uncertain it is. Um, I'll take a step back and ask a question about the past. Uh, good conservative friends of mine we're so sure, not long ago, that Jim Denning would be the next premier of the province. Can you enlighten us on, on what happened? Um, first of all, it's dangerous to be the front runner for too long uh, because you become the person everybody is now running against and you're everyone's favorite target. And uh, you start to get boring. You know, you were the, the front runner for too long, boring, been there, done that, thought that one through, something else would be more interesting. Um, so that, that's the first problem. The second problem is Morton launched a strong enough challenge to keep Dinning from a first ballot victory. And at that point, political parties start looking for compromise choices. The basic lesson that I, you know, from what I've seen of party leadership races in, in various provinces and, and nationally, never go for the compromise candidate. You will always be sorry. You know, make the choice to take your lumps, but pick one of the two. Um, solid positions in the party. Uh, but it was the, the rise of Ted Morton. Otherwise, if there hadn't been that strong a challenge, 
um, then he might have prevailed anyway. But uh, to me, the biggest, uh, he was the front runner too long, and he got a little bit complacent about it. And um, lesson to us all there, I guess. <clears throat> Mary Shillington, thank you, Peter, for your talk and for sharing the table with us today. Uh, and we had a little bit of talk about the impact of social media on the the younger voting uh, people and uh, and how that's going to impact and also the whole thing about uh, cell phones and uh, no numbers uh, being available when polls are happening. And I'm wondering, what do you think is going to happen around voting numbers and and the impact of all the social media for the young people and voting in this next election? Um, well, obviously... Before one gets too apocalyptic about it, one has to say Nemshi is an example of somebody who used the modern social media uh, to build a campaign very quickly, and that turned into votes at the polls. So uh, we shouldn't separate the two too completely. There are ways to bring the two of them together. Now, um, I, I say this, you know, uh, when those things came along, I was already well into my 50s. It was sort of the, oh, yeah, sure, that stuff over there. Um, also, the thing that still worries me about that world of social media is really the, the price you have to pay at the door to get in is privacy is dead, get over it. And I'm part of a generation that privacy is still too important to me. So um, I, you know, I, I see the pool, but I can't jump in. And I can't quite understand people who are happy splashing around in the pool. I suppose in my metaphor, they should be splashing around naked or something because privacy is dead. But um, I, I can't, I, I just can't quite get my mind over that hump. So I'm the, I'm the wrong person to ask how you use it, how you will use it, how much of the use of the social media will replace old-fashioned politics like elections, you know, and how much of it will simply feed or reinforce old-fashioned politics in a different, with a different style and a different vigor to it. I, it could play out either direction. I, and I, I just can't answer. Wish I could. Thank you, Peter, for coming. My name is Frances Schultz. I want to go back and visit something with respect to an interview that was on uh, the news last night with a young woman from Calgary who was really excited about the possibility of a female Canadian uh, Alberta uh, premier. And we already have the possibility of three vying for that position. Uh, do you think that as Mary has mentioned, social media and, and getting it, that this would be something that might excite the younger uh, media savvy young people to get out and vote and have a say. Well, um, the again, leadership races always have the effect of making politics a bit more exciting and a bit more interesting for a while. Uh, replacing old leaders, old familiar leaders with fresh new faces is always exciting, uh, uh, always gives a boost to politics. Um, and women are becoming an increasingly important part of our society and our economy, not, not so fast we can afford to get complacent about it. I've, uh, uh, but, you know, we, uh, baby, you've come a long way. Okay, there's the cliche to annoy every woman in the room. But... Uh, uh, <laughs> But um, we are making progress in that direction. It would be terrific symbolism to have one, uh, have multiple party leaders in the province be uh, young women with it, you know, that would be taking the reins of power. 
the problem is, I think we're still waiting in Canada for the first woman to win an election as leader of a party, rather than inheriting the position through a leadership race for somebody who's already uh, held the position and then lose it in the next election. So I'm afraid, so far, the track record of women premiers in Canada isn't all that good. They don't get elected. They win leadership races while their party's already in power. They tend to be winning these, uh, the Kim Campbell syndrome, they tend to be winning these leadership races when the party is already about to face the wrath of somebody in the next election anyway, and they tend to pay the price. And uh, so far, that's been the track record. It would be nice to see it change. Peter, uh, Terry Shillington, thank you very much for your presentation and the energy you bring to politics. Um, I've always appreciated that. Um, your comment on the uh, generational transition uh, provokes a question in me, and it's been my observation from the outside that the Conservative Party leadership in Alberta uh, never gets the environmental file uh, and, uh, and is continually ambushed by environmental issues, local and global, because I don't think as individuals they get it. And I wonder in, when we're thinking about a, gener a generational change, whether you see uh, the next generation of conservative leaders uh, reflecting more environmental uh, passion and concern. The, of course, the longer question is whether uh, the future young voters will take more, will be giving the environment a, a, a large, a higher profile and a higher set of preferences. Um, boy, the, the the weird thing about the environmental debate is the extent to which we're still having serious debates as to whether there is such a thing as climate change and global warming. That still remains controversial in many places, and uh, that makes it harder to move beyond that to the environmental issues and what should we do about it if we're not sure what it is we're trying to do something about, let alone what we should do about it. One would, one would think that the younger generation is, is, has been more surrounded by these arguments a lot earlier than most of us were, and it will emerge as an issue of some importance. On the other hand, being the party in power in the province of oil and being the party that is the coziest with the oil companies will uh, diminish any such movement on the part of any foreseeable leader of the Conservative Party of Alberta. Opposition parties, maybe. Governing parties will find it harder. The same way Ed Stelmack won the leadership of the party, then you know, went into a landslide win as, uh, in, in the next election, and what good did that do him? The oil industry ate him for breakfast. And I think that lesson will not be lost on any future leader of the Conservative Party or anybody who really fancies themselves as having a real shot at being the Premier of Alberta over top of the Conservative Party if you're in some other party. Now we just have time for one more question, but since there's no one here, I'm going to steal it myself. <laughs> uh, so uh, about a year and a half ago, I was at a conference, and we heard a talk from a fairly well-known Alberta political commentator and consultant by the name of Ken Chapman. And what he was uh, getting at is that uh, the generation that I'm a part of, those of us that are uh, in our 20s right now, uh, understand the urgency of uh, certain uh, political and environmental imperatives that we face. Uh, and his point was that our generation ought to attempt to take over uh, because the Generation Xers, which, uh, as you mentioned, uh, include people like Doug Griffiths, uh, Daniel Smith, uh, and uh, a few other key players that are coming up, uh, he called them uh, spoiled and uh, useless <laughs> 
as well as uh, intellectually bankrupt. Uh, now, given that that's... Apart a, from that, what's your problem? Given now? that generation is uh, largely absent from this room today, you can comment yeah. candidly. Uh, do you think that the generational shift uh, will reach uh, another uh, profound threshold once we get past the Generation X? Oh, um, they... Obviously, the... The, the baby boomers have utterly dominated politics and political issues for 40 years. They, you know, that bulge in the population, you know, if you look at any graphs, you can see why they have. The first massively important thing for all the other generations is to get them out of the way. Wait until they move out of the way or help them move out of the way. But uh, to start getting more of the levers of power and the decision-making capacity in the hands of younger generations, then you can fight among yourselves as to which one of you know which set of you takes the leadership of this new this new set of active politicians with the new set of issues you're trying to make forward. Always bear in mind though, we will fight to the death for our pensions and our health care. So just be careful. <laughs> with that I'd like to welcome everybody to join me giving a warm round of applause to Peter McCormick. Thank you.